I think the people of this country have had enough of experts. The science is If you count the legal votes, I easily win. It is time to take the bricks down. This candle smells like my vagina. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. What the fuck is going on? I'm Mark Steele. Welcome to my podcast, where each week I ask the question, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? Well, we're now at the point where it's acceptable to attack the Lifeboat Association. Nigel Farage this week complained that lifeboats have become a taxi service for immigrants. Now, Farage prides himself on daring to say what we're all thinking, but we aren't allowed to say. So we must all have been thinking for ages, lifeboats, I'm sick of them, all inflated, thinking they're better than us. How do you attack lifeboat crews? Lifeboat people would say to nurses, call yourselves angelic, you save people's lives without being tossed up and down in a violent storm where you could tip into the sea and drown at any moment. And you get paid for it, your life's a bloody doddle. But that's what they've done, these people. No one's off limits for being attacked as woke now. Joanna Lumley, Judy Dench, kittens. Farage would go, I'm only saying that that's what the ordinary people in this country think. And frankly, they've had enough of kittens. The scratching, the shitting, ruining balls of string. We should put them in a sack, send them back to ancient Egypt where they were invented. Now, several commentators have even agreed with Farage, saying if refugees are rescued in lifeboats, it makes it easy for them to hitch a ride to Britain, because that's what they're after, these refugees, the easy life. See, this is the attitude now. Let me tell you what these immigrants do, right? This is what they do, right? They flee the country, Somalia or whatever, right? Because there's war going on there or something and someone's burnt down their village, right? And then they walk across a desert, climb in a barrel, drift to Turkey, travel across Europe on the back of a truck in a crate full of piglets, get to Calais, try to float to Britain in a sideboard. Then we're expected to look after these people who aren't prepared to make an effort. That's why, if you want an easy life, don't live in a semi-detached in Surrey, set off to sea, clasping an ironing board, hoping that you get picked up so that you can get taken to a disused community hall where someone from the St John's Ambulance will pump seaweed from your stomach and you get all of that given to you for free. The crews who go out to rescue them must of course be the usual liberal types, woke snowflakes who do weedy stuff like going out in storms and 30-foot waves in a titchy boat because they've never had to do an honest day's graft. Instead of rescuing people in dinghies trying to hitch a ride, from now on the lifeboat officers should assess who it is that they're saving. All they have to do is shout at the drowning refugee to fill in a form while they're bobbling in the water and ask them to try and be careful not to get it wet. Or, to make it more interesting, they could be given a quiz before they're allowed on board. And it could be filmed for afternoon TV, so it's useful, on a show called Dover or Tip Over, with the officers shouting through a megaphone at the sinking boat. Who played the secretary of the parish council at the Vicar of Dibley? Come on, time's running out, I mustn't take your first answer, you've swallowed a jellyfish, please answer. Help, help, please help me. I'll give you a clue, he was also in Spike Milligan's view theory. And they actually try to argue that leaving people to drown is compassionate. So Farage will go, if the lifeboats rescue these people, it will only encourage more people to try. 
Now, I reckon firefighters should take this approach and go, well, I mean, the thing is, if we put the fire out every time some old bloke with dementia sets something alight, we'll only encourage more people to get dementia so that they can set fire to their chip pans. So the kindest thing to do is to just let them burn. Because we're sick of compassion. Nigel Farage has set up a scheme to rival the Daily Mirror's Pride of Britain awards, where he can announce the winner is a man who saw an old woman collapse by the side of the road. And even though he had all day with nothing to do, he left her there and went to the bookies instead. But the problem for Farage, and who could possibly have guessed this, is most people admire lifeboat crews. So after his complaints the Royal National Lifeboat Institution received record donations. So in a way, this is all quite hopeful. It's like when Boris Johnson and Priti Patel attacked the England football team for being woke and metropolitan elite, and then they had to backtrack because they realised that the England football team were more popular than they were. But despite this, Nigel Farage should stick to his guns. He should carry on saying what we all think but daren't say and demand that instead of saving people fleeing torture, lifeboats should only rescue responsible people like lads who've gone to Dorset and drunk nine pints of Stella in the heat and jumped off the Durdle Door Arch because it's Dave Stagdo and he's convinced he can swim to Jersey. What the fuck is going on? Now, it is an honour, a privilege indeed, good people, that to help me this week find out what the fuck is going on is someone who really does look into what the fuck is going <laughs> and on. And still doesn't fucking know. <laughs> no, but you at least you've made a serious attempt at, at trying to find out. And you write in the mirror. And who is on the telly every week telling us what goes on in the newspaper review on BBC and Sky and such other things. Susie Boniface. Hooray. Now, the first thing that I would like to tell us about what the fuck is going on with, it's about broadband speed and usually broadband speed if someone talks to me about that I think oh what you know we only get 44.1 gigabytes and the you know the kilohertz conundrum ratio is for I think well why do you need the internet because you shouldn't be allowed information but you've found that this is actually quite fascinating and would you believe Margaret Thatcher is involved <laughs> yes all her fault cow no, I'm one of those people I just don't know anything about the internet. I don't think about the magic box in the corner of the room and how it works, and I don't give a shit. Um, but earlier in this year, I think I was having a bitch about BT or something at some point, and someone sent me the link to a, a tech radar story from a couple of years ago about an old BT engineer who said Thatcher turned off the fibre optic cable factories in 1990, which would have powered our internet boom and made us all whizzy super quick. And that would have made a huge difference to our economy and the way we did things. And it was ideological and she was a cow, etc. So what I looked into, it really it annoyed me. And I was sitting here in rural Kent trying to Zoom my university students that I teach, trying to do interviews, trying to do broadcast to Sky and that. And I would just keep finding that little spinny wheel coming yeah, up. Yeah, 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 yeah. And my students would say, oh, God. you know." And I had students in Dubai, in Northern Europe, all across the UK that could all collaborate with each other and they're all zooming in to see me. And here I am, 40 minutes outside London, and they would say to me, uh, you've started to sound like Stephen Hawking. Can you turn your camera off so we can actually right. hear you? Because the bandwidth for your video signal takes up all the space on your telephone line, whereas the bandwidth for a voice call is infinitely less. So I started figuring this out. I went back to that Tech Radar article and I started looking into it. I thought, that can't be true. Can really, Thatcher really still fucking us up now? Are you stupid? What a dumb thing to say. 
And so I went and found a few people, some engineers who went to BT, politicians who were, you know, telecoms graduates at the time, experts, academics, case studies all around the country, the problems they've had during the pandemic with, you know, things just not working. And they've got their whole family at home. The kids are all online. Someone's trying to game. Someone's trying to Zoom a university lecturer. Someone else is trying to email a big file, you know, and they're having massive fights and ready to kill each other. Uh, And it all turned out to be pretty much true. Actually, Thatcher decided when she was selling off BT in the early 80s, which she just hated, packaged it all up. She sold it all off. And they had these fibre optic factories rolling out cables of purified silica, purified glass, which we invented. The Brits invented this and it's capable of carrying data at 122,000 miles an hour. So it's almost the speed of light. It's very, very super whizzy. Now, we are currently having this conversation on the Internet. You're in, where is it? South London somewhere? Yeah, yeah, Crystal Palace, yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. We could probably use a tin can and be doing this in a more efficient way than we are. Because I don't know about you, but where I am, I'm a mile from my telephone junction box. Now, there is a fibre optic cable taking data at the speed of light in the 21st century fashion to that junction box. And then across the fields, down the back here, there is a mile of copper cable of the type invented to carry Morse code in 1837 which is carrying the data the rest of the way incredibly slowly and it gets all chewed up and degraded as it comes down that mile of copper, which means that by the time it gets to my house, I enjoy four megabits per second. The national average is 64. Now, the reason for all this, I mean, lots of people think about that and say, oh, you're saying that Thatcher should have kept rolling out fibre optics in 1990. Right, this is when pages were high tech. It's when um, we used to send faxes to each other. And one of my interviewees said, it's quite right, if they had suggested in 1990 spending billions of taxpayer pounds so we could send slightly faster faxes to each other, (laughs) there would have been riots. Riots, do you think? Well, they were just, you know, the Daily Mail would have got terribly pissed. Yeah, yeah. I quite um, like the idea of a riot over. They're spending money on improving on fax speed. The poll tax I could live with, but this. <laughs> they probably would have done, you know. But anyway, they just wouldn't have worked. And so there's no way that you could really have suggested that they had to lay fibre optic cable across Britain in 1990. But when they privatised British Telecom, it was a huge unwieldy bureaucracy. It was ridiculously expensive and it needed to be Mm. shaken up. But they did it in this ideological way, which is you must sell it and then leave the market to deal with everything. And even though Thatcher left office, John Major and all her acolytes who came after her did exactly the same thing. They wouldn't regulate that market. Labour came in and they only slightly regulated it. They wouldn't really control it. And the problem was because they had privatised BT, it had no incentive, no reason and no ability to fund the infrastructure, which all these other private companies were now using to sell things to us. So today we're in a situation where Amazon, Netflix, BBC iPlayer, Zoom, whoever are trying to sell us things to use which are just soaking up our bandwidth it's like lorry companies and hauliers and bus companies never having to pay road tax but giving us bigger and bigger buses and trucks all the time that just bust up our roads so the ideology of privatization and the free market has done the very opposite of what they said yeah you can argue that the free market was necessary but they should have regulated it in such a way that they forced them to put some of the money back in to fund the infrastructure because what the rest of the fucking world did while we were farting about with copper that was invented in Victorian times was they very steadily stripped out their copper and started laying in the fibre optics. And because we'd shut our factories down, right, 
we weren't selling them the fiber optics that we invented. So they went and used our invention to make their own stuff to fund their economies. And now we're having to buy the fucking stuff back from them and put it in the ground in a slower and more expensive fucking way than we could have done to start with. A similar thing happened to cricket. Well, maybe. <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, it's not because that was the only way it could have happened. It was just, you know, sheer bad luck. It's because of an ideology. Here's something that your investigations... I don't know if your investigations were thorough enough to, to discover this, Susie, but uh, one of the ways in which the old post office... One of the ways this is not a good argument for keeping things nationalised, because I worked for them for a year in their office in Elephant and Castle... And this is true, I dealt with the Battersea area and they'd run out of cable, they'd run out of everything, they'd run out of equipment, absolutely everything. So all my job was, all day, literally, was to answer the phone, hello, I just moved into Battersea and I'd like to, to have a phone line put in, please. And I would say, I'm sorry that there's no numbers left. That's what we had to say, there's no numbers left. And they go, what are you talking about, there's no numbers, there's loads of numbers. <laughs> Yeah, and I say, I oh, know there's numbers, but there's no numbers for them. But there's numbers, just 8413. What about that? That's a number. They hadn't really run out of numbers. They'd run out of cable that went with a number or something. They hadn't, well, invent a new number like the Arabs did. But two things that I do remember about more than anything else. One is that Martin Webster, one of the leaders of the National Front, he lived there and he was in my area. And so I filled in a form Oh, God, am I going to get arrested for this? I filled in a form and sent it off because you could have people cut off. And I, got, <laughs> I sent his, I sent a thing and got his phone cut off. And then the, the other thing is that there was, <laughs> there was a guy called Or Ewing, O-R-R hyphen E-W-I-N-G, the sort of person you've probably come up against on the Saturday night paper reviews. Yeah. And one day the reception called me and they said, Mark, there's a Lord or Ewing in reception to see you because he's one of the people I'd said, no, I'm sorry, we've got no numbers. And I went down and met Lord or Ewing and honestly, this is true. And he went, yes, 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 you're the chap that I spoke to and there's no numbers or some such border dash. And I said, yes, I'm sorry, Lord or Ewing, that, that does seem to be the case. And then he shook me hand and said, well, let's see if we can sort of solve this, can we? And he'd put a fiver in me hand. Lord or you in? He'd put a fiver. And I thought, a fi I remember walking away and thinking, a fiver, you fucking cheapskate, aristocratic <laughs> fucking You'd arsehole. you given me 50, I'd have found you a number. I would have done. But fiver? <laughs> Jesus, so you bloody or you in's probably came over with the Normans and fucking took all the Wiltshire and all you can give me is a fiver and you probably own all the sheep in the world. That's the trouble, though. It's the cheapness <laughs> of the attitude, right? Because, do you know, for every one pound that you invest in telecommunications, you get 20 quid back, right? And what we're doing in this country is letting private enterprise put in the money and get the money out. But what's the most irritating thing about this was because like, the government refuses to subsidise it, right? It's white elephants, waste taxpayers' money. People are going to use it to go online and look at willies or boobies. It's like, why, why should we do this? Why should we let people look at boobies? <laughs> use a magazine like I did, right? Now, the money's coming in from foreign investors and foreign companies, state investment funds, pension funds, UK government investment funds, right? So our government is investing a small amount because you're going to get 20 times back your investment. Minus fees, minus expenses, minus costs, right? But you put in a million pounds and you might get 20 million back. They're letting private enterprise put in 10 billion and get 200 billion back. And the reason for that is that they just don't think that the taxpayer 
should get that return on our investment as taxes. It's an ideological thing. They just don't want us to have the fucking money. They want their mates to have the fucking money. And it's just, it's disgraceful and disgusting. And Marx disappeared off my screen. Oh, am I still here? <laughs> I thought you'd cut off. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, this leads us very much onto the next subject. So I think it's very much part of the same thing. This week, Boris Johnson, a number of people commented that he got soaked under an umbrella. And he couldn't get the umbrella working. And, uh, oh, God, thing seems to be uh, complicated. Now, a lot of people have gone, this proves what an idiot he is. I don't think that it does. And I don't know what you think. But it did make me think, is he really this sort of buffoon who gets sort of stuck on zip wires and is sort of generally chaotic and turning up late and his sort of buttons don't do up properly and all that? Or is that a very, very carefully orchestrated act? What do you reckon? I think he's he's shambolic in order to be rude to people. He is quite disruptive. I think his attitude is to be disruptive to things and to throw a brick kind of thing, which is something that all journalists have, but he was always a very poor journalist. But I would say, what is the fucking point of a human being who can't operate an umbrella? <laughs> One of the most basic and simple mechanical inventions that humans has ever come up with and which has been around for centuries you know you stand under an umbrella and you're still getting wet you need a fucking care in that <laughs> not an umbrella now we have one other subject to discuss so the olympics something that i noticed that you commented on and with very good reason is the utterly utterly 19th century view of women amongst not the majority of people but someone somewhere because the norwegian handball team were told that they had to play beach handball in bikinis. They were told to wear bikinis, yeah. Bikinis. yeah. And there's <laughs> maximum sort of square centimetre coverage permitted for it to qualify as bikini. So basically you're wearing four triangles, shall we say, while playing a sport in which you're one of the best in the world and you've trained and you're an elite athlete and you're doing all kinds of stuff. But you must wear four small triangles of set size in order to do that sport. But that seems to me to be just about the most blatant sort of sexism. With it. There's not even any vague attempt. You can't say, no, it is absolutely imperative for the good of the sport that we can see your arse cheeks yeah. while you're playing. Now, if the sport was being Prime Minister, I think that would be quite reasonable. <laughs> we need to see the arse cheeks. We Come see. on, Boris, we know you've got pimples on there. Oh. Why is it as well that the boys, why aren't the boys wearing bikinis? Why can't you all just wear, like in taekwondo or football or swimming or anything else, just wear the same bloody stuff? It is extraordinary, but it is a sort of marvellous illustration of attitudes towards women in sport. Women weren't allowed to ski jump legally. There was a 15 years, I think, legal Oh no, it would jiggle their baby making bits about or something. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Before they, oh, they'll go too far. If women go that speed, they'll explode, you know. <laughs> the original Olympics, everyone was naked. So I suppose bikinis mm. are a bit of a move on from that, from the Greeks. <laughs> You've just got to so, be patient. You've just yeah, got to exactly. wait 2,400 years. <laughs> Susie Boniface, thank you so much for coming on and explaining what the fuck is going on. We know now that's made the podcast redundant. Don't know. I don't know what the fuck is going on most days. It's just a big <laughs> scream into the void. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Now, amongst the many events that I've been watching in the Olympics, 
was the trampolining, where Britain's Bryony Page won a bronze medal. Now, I've got to admit here, I don't really understand a lot about trampolining, but luckily, here to explain it for us is an expert on the sport, George Galloway. Let me put it to you, Bryony Page. Your repetitive ascendance and subsequent descendants encapsulates all the agility of the wretched Mr. Blair, wriggling to escape the clutches of justice following his criminal misadventures in the Iraq war. However, your execution of the double front somersault with half twist lacked the indefatigability of the competitors from the People's Republic of China, whose 70-year-long struggle against the imperialist Lex Petals enables them to bounce up and down with superior alacrity. That trampolining woman is why you had to settle for the bronze. I love the Olympics. I once watched 14 hours of it without a pause and I only stopped when the commentator said, and you have to say, that's a critical moment in the history of Algerian judo. I've been loving this. I've been getting up at three in the morning to watch the coxless upside down 800 metres in a flower pot. I watched the heats of the cycling through homemade chutney, the underwater table tennis, flamingo dressage, beach jousting, synchronised lawn mowing. I was watching the shooting final and the thing that surprised me was that there were no Americans in it. I thought, well, surely they should be dominating it, shouldn't they, with all the practice they get? I listened to the trampolining on the radio in which you heard the trampoline just go... And then the commentator said, well, that seemed to go all right. And you knew she was thinking, well, she's got up, she's come back down again. What else is she meant to do? But what I love about this Olympics is everyone has to have a backstory. So there's the swimmer who had to practice in their paddling pool and synchronised swimmers that have to synchronise over Zoom. And then you hear the presenters going... And it was so tough with this trampoline, wasn't it, Claire? Oh, yes, it was, Dan. The clubs were shut because of Covid, so she had to get her grandmother to put on 23 stone by eating nothing but Heinz sponge puddings so she could practice bouncing on her stomach. We've heard some amazing stories this Olympics. We're hearing yesterday about Nathan Jenkins, the windsurfer. Yes, Dan. Well, his funding was cut, so he couldn't afford any wind. So the whole village of Stow and the World came out every night to blow so he could carry on practising. And what makes it all the more extraordinary is that they were all wearing face masks, so they had to blow twice as hard. But a funny thing happened on Friday, because I switched to Eurosport, and that was the first time I realised... There were other countries taking part as well. I thought, Belgium? Are they there? Brazil? The BBC didn't mention them. Now, I understand that the British competitors have always been the main story, but now you get commentary that goes... So it's Davidson in lane five for Great Britain. And they're away first time. This fantastic start from Davidson. Davidson tremendously into his stride and he's pumping his arms tremendously. This is great. He's got his breathing. He is absolutely marvellous. Over the bend and it's Davidson. And as they're coming up to the line, it's Davidson in sixth place. And the winners in Africa, I think, or something or other. There's a Swiss bloke, I don't know, Sweden or one of the countries. But what a run from Davidson. 
Now, over to the skate park where Britain has high hopes of a medal. We're just waiting for Laura Tidsdale from Peace Marsh in Sussex. She's eighth in position. I know for a fact that her brothers and her niece will be watching. They've made some special Union Jack lemon drizzle cake. You're not missing anything, by the way. There's just someone from Italy going around. So let's go back to the arena to watch Billy Knotsworth from Chorley in the 65 to 69 kilograms hair pulling. Or you turn on the radio and there's a commentator going... games where any political statements have been banned because they're scared that someone will do a Black Lives Matter gesture and it wouldn't surprise me if at the start of the 100 metres final when the sprinters crouch down they're all disqualified for taking the knee what the fuck is So I've got quite a few messages this week from listeners who've asked what the fuck is going on with various issues. But one thing that I've really got to address. <laughs> so Adam Vaughan, amongst other people, have sent me this saying, Mark, what the fuck is going on? There is a Mark Steele who is a 5G conspiracy theorist and weapons expert who he then says he's eating a 99 flake ice cream while arguing with the police in Sheffield. But this Mark Steele's doing other things, I'm afraid. And his name's Mark, he's got an E on the end, which I don't have. And he is now not just any conspiracy theorist, he's probably number two in the conspiracy theorist charts. He's with David Icke on Trafalgar Square at rallies, yelling about how vaccinations don't exist and the moon doesn't exist, I don't know, and 5G causes people to sneeze and there's underground bunkers and God knows, I don't know, all of it. And people have sent me things going, is that you? Of course it's not me. All right, his name is the same, except it's spelt different from me. But he's a crazed conspiracy. What have I ever done? People think, oh, yes, I thought Mark was a bit like that. When he goes around doing quirky little things about the strange business of a town in Hampshire, it strikes me that that's very much the tone of someone who's going to stand screaming into a microphone at Trafalgar Square to 20,000 people, telling them to listen up, sheeples. For God's sake, stop believing that the sun exists. Can't you see it's all made up and it's made out of plasticine of course it's not me and he wears dark glasses all the time including indoors probably because he's going yeah you don't know what they put in light they put stuff in it to make your ass fall off so it's not me i hope that answers the question oh what the fuck is going on now As anyone who's listened to this podcast knows by now, it is vital that in order to find out what the fuck is going on, that we find out what the youth think, as well as people who, like myself, are over 110. So, luckily, I've managed to breed someone so that they could keep me informed about all of this. 
Elliot Steele. Welcome as ever. Hello. And, I mean, uh, what do I do about this situation with another Mark Steele, who's a bloke who's a conspiracy theorist, who stands in Trafalgar Square with David Icke, screaming at tens of thousands of people that everything you see is not as what it is? You might have a point. He might end up just taking my place and he'll end up living here. Just ends up going round to small towns and telling them yeah. all why they all need to break through their chains and their shackles. Yeah. Mark Steele's in town's changed. There's a lot more Holocaust <laughs> denial than there, than there used to be. So, right, conspiracy theories. Now, to my generation, conspiracy theories are, other than for people who sort of go in for them, they're sort of a joke I know people who go, oh, my sister, she's you know won't have the vaccination. I don't know. She thinks it's something that's Bill Gates has put a chip in it that makes you never use Google Chrome again. Something like that. But yeah. what does your generation think about this? Well, I don't know if I can speak for my whole generation, but I know I don't trust anyone who's a conspiracy theorist, but I wouldn't trust anyone who doesn't believe in something like that as well. So look, for example, like when people say mainstream media, and like that's become overblown because of like Trump and stuff. But there is like six people who own all of the news outlets. So it's not crazy to think that there is a restriction on what you are seeing. Like that used to be illegal. It was illegal for that to happen. And then they found a way around it. And now it's happened. Yeah, this is an interesting thing about conspiracy theories is when does something become a conspiracy theory? Because if you say, well, Rupert Murdoch and, well, the six people that you're talking about, Desmond and Conrad Black, all these people like that in this country and so on, they own all of the media and they put a certain point of view across, like Fox News. That's not a conspiracy theory to say, but that's not true. Fox News said that because they want you to believe a certain mm. thing. That's perfectly rational. When does it become a conspiracy theory then and mad? This is the problem conspiracy theorists have, right, is everything comes to conspiracy theory apart from the thing that they believe. So like, I remember chatting to this dude outside Crystal Palace one time. There was a jiu-jitsu tournament going on like about a couple of years ago. And I was going to the gym and I was going to watch the tournament. And there was this guy who like had all this... Uh, flat earth stuff and like within talking to him like you couldn't trust the mainstream media until the mainstream media agreed with him then he'll bring up a point of like yeah but you know they've talked about this on the bbc before where it's like and it's like but you just said you couldn't trust the mainstream media so like the thing is there are people who've got access to the internet the internet gives them an algorithm they go down the algorithm and start believing all this stuff but they also come part of a community they become part of something and that's what everyone wants to be is part of a community a place where you have a self-worth and importance and you can see that in in anything can i just do you know why the flat earth society would send someone to promote their ideas outside a jiu-jitsu tournament do they think that's particularly fruitful i, I swear <laughs> to god you're not you're not wrong yeah like one of the main most revolutionary pioneers of jiu-jitsu is a flat earther and there's so many oh, conspiracy right. theorists in it yeah 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 right because when we're rolling <laughs> on the floor right i've had a hundreds of fights you've got to be really careful off you push them too far they go off the edge Oh, it's really sad, actually, because, like, you'll sort of be watching a couple of his videos on, like, YouTube going, like, oh, cool, that's a really good uh, attack from the back that I could use or implement this new guard. And then you click on another one of his videos, and it's him just smoking weed, going, like, but, dude, there's so many paedophiles in the government, and they just cover it up. And you go, oh, no, I've clicked on the wrong video. That's amazing, a sort of conspiracy theory jujitsu crossover. But this is the thing with conspiracy theories, is, like, those people ruin conspiracy theories. Because there are conspiracy theories that are true. Yes. So, like, people hate Alex Jones. I totally get why. 
But Alex Jones was one of the first people to uncover agent provocateurs being used in America and like did a whole exposure and the police would send these people to protests to incite violence, to allow for the police to attack so that they could then shut down the protest. Yeah, 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 no, that has happened. And, yeah, yeah. and like things like Operation Northwood, Operation Northwood was the CIA went to, this actually happened, went to President Kennedy and was like, to, we need to stage terrorist attacks to give it, get an excuse to invade Cuba. I had, you know, I've got a really old mate who sort of once, we knew a third person who called us up one day. This third person was in a group, a left-wing group that was absolutely really off with the fairies. And they had a national membership of 30, of which 20 lived in Penge. And I never quite worked out why that was. <laughs> and he left them. And it was like leaving the Jehovah's Witnesses. They wouldn't leave him alone. And he told us... He said, I had to sort of take them round to places. And we were coming out of the Blackwall Tunnel sort of in the afternoon, which everyone knows the Blackwall Tunnel. It's absolutely jammed there all the time. And there's these sort of little cameras that they have for the traffic management thing. And he said there were three people and him in the car. The other three were all leading people in this group. And one of them went three cars back. You see that car? And he went, yeah, well, it's a Prius or whatever it was, Ford Focus. He said about five minutes later, they hadn't moved at all. And one of them went, is that car still there? <laughs> he said, well, of course it is. We're in a traffic jam. No one's moved. He said, yeah, you're not thinking, are you, John? You're not thinking. Of course it's still there. It's following us. And he said, but what? But nothing can move. And he said, there's three members of the Central Committee in here. Do you not think that they're trying to keep tabs on us? <laughs> but, that, but that's schizophrenia. That's what that is. That's mental health. So because of the internet, these people are now able to link up with each other and then get people who are susceptible to that way of thinking, but might not be schizophrenic. And then they all meet up. And that's what these people are doing. Like that doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, but you're not dealing with logical people. You're dealing with mental, mental health issues. And also, also, also not just mental health issues. Let's be honest. There's some really thick fucks out there. Like there's just some people who are fucking dumb and they've been tricked by people who are schizophrenic and mutter to themselves and have bees in their beards. And I know you've got to be nice because of mental health and all of this stuff. But if you're tricked by someone who's schizophrenic and you haven't got schizophrenia, you are a moron. You are stupid. Like, you've been tricked by someone who thinks that the trees are talking to them. Uh, thank you very much, <laughs> Elliot. This is the last of the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Before, not only were we cancelled, but the house was burnt down. I want to carry on, yeah. but there's a man in a black cloak in the corner telling me that I've got to go and burn the post office down. So, thank you so much, Mr. Elliot Steele, for explaining to us what the fuck is going on. What the fuck is going on? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If there is anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it, please send me a message on Twitter, at Mr Mark Steele, and we will do our best to look at all the messages that you send. And if you want to find out more about the broadband scandal that Susie was investigating, then go to reboot.mirror.co.uk. What the Fuck is Going On was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests Susie Boniface and Elliot Steele. Voices by Sarah Alexander and Pete Sinclair. It was written by Mark Steele, James Serafinowicz and Pete Sinclair. Music by Willie Dowling. It was produced and edited by Scott and Matt and Podmonkey. What the Fuck is Going On is a co-production between Podmonkey and Consec Industries. <laughs>